Hello, we are back again and with this second panel that uh, we will discuss about digital platforms at the trust uh, and uh, how we should um, update competition law and how and uh, uh, whether in what direction how uh, discussing, if possible, specific measures, specific directions. And I'm very happy to have uh, uh, experts with uh, very influential ideas uh, with me. In alphabetical order is uh, Adina Kleisi, is the director and head of the Brussels Office of Copenhagen Economics. And before that, she was for many years at the chief economist team uh, at uh, the GDCOM, uh, Comb European Commission. We have uh, Kay Zebeli, who is um, uh, the person to ask uh, about regulatory and competition issues at Computer and Communications uh, Industry Association. Um, we have Kai Uwe Kuhn, Professor of Economics and Deputy Director of the Center for Competition Policy at the University of East Anglia, a big center for competition policy there. Also in the past in the Commission as, um, uh, in, as a Chief Economist of DigiComb. Uh, and talking about the Commission, we come to the current uh, person, uh, the director of uh, uh, Directorate uh, C uh, at Digicom. And um, we close with Hakim uh, Vambas, uh, the president in uh, uh, ZEW, uh, and the chairman of uh, the German Monopolies uh, Commission, which recently published uh, a very interesting uh, report on these issues we will discuss. So, um, we want to discuss uh, about the specific challenges and then uh, to, uh, uh, to talk and um, uh, discuss on potential solutions. Uh, and of course, challenges can be very broad. It can, we can go to the direction of should we regulate platforms and how? Uh, what should do with data? Should we implement data sharing mechanisms? Um, what about uh, the threat of algorithm deciding prices uh, in the market? Uh, do we have any uh, increased risk of collusion? Uh, should we update merger control uh, to address uh, the issue of having some, um, uh, uh, some firms that they are engaged in many mergers as a strategic way uh, to monopolize the market? And also we have also some general antitrust issues uh, that goes to the market definition uh, to how clear are the antitrust rules today and whether we should put effort to that direction on whether we should use interim measures in a very dynamic uh, market and ecosystem. Uh, so um, I intend to um, respect the alphabetical order for the initial talks of, uh, of the speakers with only one exception. I will give first uh, the, uh, the floor to Akim because uh, uh, he was the chair of this uh, new uh, relatively recent report on uh, digital platforms, on uh, competition issues. So you can give us um, a broad idea about that, and that hopefully will motivate further comments and discussion. Kim, the floor is yours. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you and uh, welcome. I'm um, happy to report on this commission. It was called Commission Competition Law 4.0, installed by the German government uh, one and a half year ago, and we had several mandates, but two major tasks I want to report on. So to amend the or make recommendation for the EU competition law with regard to control of platforms uh, with high degree of market power, but also, and that's what I want to uh, stress, is how maybe competition law and, you know, laws in the environment of competition law have to adapt to give European firms a better chance to, to compete in the digital economy. 
Uh, it took us a year to work that report. We had the chair, we had three chairs, the law professor, uh, one uh, uh, professor from information sciences and me, I'm an economist, um, uh, several other lawyers in the commission, also three politicians, but without voting rights. Um, and um, just to, to give you the, the scope of it. And we came up in the end with 22 recommendations. Not as many as Business Europe this morning, that was 120 and something, so we are not as productive as business, we academics, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but, but you know, good 22 recommendations. Um, uh, maybe before I go to some of these recommendations, um, uh, what is kind of the, the view we have on, on, on this market? And I would like to, to also to stress that. One is that we still believe in competition as a driver of innovation. If you see platform economics, you can once sometimes have the belief, you know, dominance, dominance is that what matters. You have to be large and it's all dominance. But even then, you know, around in the platform ecosystem, competition is that what drives innovation. And for competition to drive innovation, you need consumers which are able to make um, choices. Yeah, and, and that's actually also an important point to stress because we discuss a lot about protection of consumers, but if you protect them too much, then they, you know there's not much choice to be made, and then you can't have competition, so you also have to enable consumers, and that will come back in my recommendations, or not mine, of the commission. We had kind of three working groups, um, um, and uh, that was kind of to, to structure the market, and you know them all, one is data, as kind of the production, um, input, uh, then you have platforms as kind of, uh, you know, economists probably say production uh, technology, and then you have the, the, the ecosystem where all it, um, it finds its places. With regard to data, um, I um, would like to stress these two points uh, that um, uh, we say the user must be able to work with the data, that's if you want to com competition to work, and um, so one recommendation is that um, we should formulate principles when users should be granted the right to make a digital user account accessible to third party providers. So that users can take the data to third party providers, that's what we see in the financial markets. Um, and that has led to, you know, a new dynamic in this market, and, and we can envisage that in many other markets as well. We all probably would agree that, you know, handling data is not a trivial task, and, and consumers might be overburdened by this task to deal with this data, and so um, we discussed, and, you know, as a recommendation, we recommend a study, the establishment of data trustees to understand better how the market can also lead to solutions that, that users can work with their data. That on, on data, on dominant platforms, um, it, it, our understanding is that, um, um, you know, these platforms we're all talking about, they are here to stay. So maybe five to ten years ago we would have maybe thought that dynamics is so strong, maybe it's the Yahoo effect at some point, new companies will come up. The market doesn't believe so. So the market value of these companies is very high, but, you know, they are here and they have a dominant position in these markets. And also we, uh, we think that antitrust does a good job, but has, has its limit, uh, comes to its limit. And in particular in such a dynamic market where non-intervention and failure to take timely action comes at a particularly high price because then markets tip. And, um, and, and, and so we, we think we need rules. And it's not just us. I think all, the all these commissions which have been founded in Britain, in Australia, in the uh, Chicago Restikler report, they all come to this uh, issue that you need ex-ante rules. And uh, the whole 
discussion is, you know, I say in the scope between rules and regulation. So how far do we go? Do we need regulation? Do we need a regulatory authority? Who are the, you know, which platforms do we mean? And our recommendation, I would say, are more on the, you know, in the realm of competition, um, of competition laws. So we recommend platform regulation with a code of contact for dominant online platforms with certain minimum level of sales or user numbers, so large dominant platforms. Uh, and one, um, one rule would be a ban of preferential treatment. Um, for those platforms. You also have a, a, several others, but another one I want to mention is that we want for the dominant platforms, because they are so important as rule setters, um, obligation to provide portability of user and usage data in real time and in an interoperable data format. Mm -hmm. So that's what they have to do anyway, because of the DSD4O, um, of Data Protection Act, they have to give you your data, but for them they have to give it to you in real time, so that we can start a new dynamic around these markets. Final point I want to make for the introductory uh, statement is um, how to enable companies to be more competitive in, in this market. And that, uh, you know, we had many hearings and from all different sides, uh, we got the argument that to share data, to build a joint platform, they must have scope to cooperate, which they have, so law doesn't forbid them to cooperate, but uh, they don't have legal certainty. So they were very nervous, and that's a new field. Digital economy is a new field, and typically, the, you know, corporate lawyers are telling them, I wouldn't do it, you know, because of uh, the cartel problems you might run to it. So they need more legal certainty. And, um, um, and so we don't want, you know, our recommendations is not to, to change or amend the law in that respect, but uh, to give more legal certainty in that area. So our two recommendations is one is clarification of new legal questions raised in conjunction with cooperation of business undertakings in the digital area. So that should be declared a priority at the European Commission. So what is new and what can be envisaged to be okay with the law? And then we also propose um, an introduction of a voluntary notification procedure for these novel forms of cooperation um, with a right to receive a decision in a short period of time. That's what happens now in Germany with the 10th Amendment, so that's a proposal in the 10th Amendment, so that firms can go to the cartel office and ask for this um, uh, voluntary, uh, this letter, this uh, notification uh, from the cartel authorities only in that area um, and uh, only in this new, you know, in, in the realm of these new technologies. Um, we are aware that that probably implies new resources, yeah, and that it uh, could be a lot of work, but um, uh, on the other hand, we are preventing a lot of, you know, innovation taking place if, if firms cannot share data, if they, if they can't join, you know, build and platform them, themselves, then they wait for someone else to enter the market with a platform. So um, I think that's, uh, that's something which is also, at least this came out of our commission, which would be a way to go. Okay, I will stop at this point for the introductory remarks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Akim, a couple of questions before, before we move on. Um, in the previous panel, uh, we also discussed, uh, it was also discussed the possibility to go beyond dominance in addressing the platforms. Um, what is your opinion on that? Should we go beyond? Because you clearly referred on dominance, large dominant platforms. Um, and uh, the other, we leave it for the discussion. Please answer that and then we move to Adina. Yeah, that's, I think that's a very relevant question. So whom are we approaching with these rules and uh, the regulatory approach? And, and the Fruman report has this uh, dominant markets, markets status um, and um, we have dominance, so the, the, the classical dominance uh, and the German Tenth Amendment uh, also that takes a look whether these companies are, uh, you know, are important or systemic across markets. And um, I think 
you know, we came to the conclusion that domains we should work with this, you have legal, you know, you know what it is, at least we, we think we have some understanding of what it is. It's not clear what it means to go across markets and, um, and in the end, market power comes from market dominance. So that's why we were stressing this market dominance rules. But in the other definitions, dominance is always also hidden in it. It's, you know, it's inside, but the question is whether you take the focus of dominance being going across markets, yeah, and um, um, so, um, but so that's why we, st we stick with dominance. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, interesting insights and remarks. Um, of course, uh, when we're talking about competition policy, there are also some uh, challenges, some intensive debates about general antitrust, about merger control. So Adina, from your experience, from your work, what are your insights? Thank you very much, Georgios, also for the invitation uh, to this event. It's a pleasure to share the panel with my distinguished panelists. So, uh, yeah, looking at the title, Global Competition Digital Change, of course, uh, you can talk for uh, years about this. I, I decided to focus my introductory remarks on a few things related to market definition, market power, and mergers. So... Um, uh, we have heard this morning that the Commission will review the market definition notice. We haven't heard in which direction. Uh, now I'm, I'm not a Commission anymore, so I can think and uh, propose uh, ideas of, 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 um, of for the future. So what um, I believe that the digital change brings new business model into the picture. Um, there are um, new type, types of companies that operate in the market. However, uh, if we very carefully look at the original definition, uh, notice for market definition, it is based on some basic economic principles that I think hold very well uh, for many of the cases. What I think is very important that we understand very well these business models, we understand very well what data we are talking about, because we are talking a lot, data is rivalrous, non-rivalrous. I don't think we can generalize. There are so many business models that, that we can understand, we need to understand each. I will, since you asked about my practice, I will give you, for example, um, example of e-commerce platforms. We are supporting uh, an e-commerce platform. Um, in um, in their endeavor to to uh, develop themselves in the market, and we found ourselves with the question of market definition: um, Is an e-commerce platform are e-commerce platforms a market in themselves? Should we include any online shops in that market? Should we include offline also in that market? Now there are views they say that try to define markets based on business models. If you look at the notice, you don't see this anywhere. Uh, if the commissioner in some speeches, she reiterated that in order to define a market, you have to look at the alternatives consumers have. This is very basic and I think even if you look at a very sophisticated e-commerce platform, uh, you can apply this. Who are asking yourself, who are the customers of e-commerce platforms? Are consumers that need to buy retail goods and then are sellers on the other side. So we have to uh, groups of customers. We ask those customers, what are your alternatives should this platform increase price or worsen uh, conditions? Do you go to other online stores? Do you, have, do you go to offline? So in the end, it's an empirical question, but can be answered, in my opinion, with, with, uh, with traditional tools. It's just we need to understand exactly how this business works and what are the alternatives for, for consumers. Sellers are another group of consumers of e-commerce platforms, and you also go and ask these sellers, what happens if you cannot uh, distribute your goods on the platform? Do you have other ways? 
Um, and again, empirically, this can be easily verified, and then we define the market wider or smaller. Um, this is the, this this uh, question is at the basis of the SNP test, uh, the theoretical um, concept of the SNP test. But it has also been said that in uh, some markets, which uh, where consumers don't pay a monetary price, how do you do this SNP test? I very much welcome the attempt of the Commission in the Android case to do a quality degradation uh, sort of test. Uh, I don't think it's easy to quantify, so all sympathy for, for those who have to apply it, but it's a way to think of other parameters of competition beyond price that need to be considered where, when we define markets. So this is something that is a traditional instrument but uh, can be uh, expanded to other uh, features of competition. Another, um, another aspect that has been proposed uh, by a few papers and also um, in, in some policy debates is to look more carefully when you define markets at ecosystems. Um, Alexandre Estrella and Alexiadis just released a policy paper uh, proposing that uh, we look at con more conglomerate effects type uh, when we define markets in the sense that we should look at the links that some um, companies, some big digital companies have in adjacent market and look uh, wider at, at this ecosystem. Um, so, yeah, this was about, ah, finally, about a word about the geographic market. Um, this morning we've heard as well that markets are becoming more global. Yes, that's a fact, but this doesn't mean that the tools have to be changed. There were less global markets before, but and more global markets now, but the test is the same. What are the alternatives of consumers uh, in the geographic scope? And of course, now due to digitalization, it's not surprising that consumers can go farther away to buy their goods, so markets become more uh, wider, but I don't see in which way the tools have to be changed to test this. Um, Again, just to finish about the market definition, I think we need to understand very, very well how this, uh, these businesses work and what are their assets and um, what are the, what, who are the consumers, what are their relationships to consumers. So it's a case by case, but it requires an exercise of um, going deep into the industry. If I have a minute about mergers, um, yeah. So the, we discussed the Georgia's, uh, when we prepared this panel, uh, mentioned these killer acquisitions. This has been mentioned a lot uh, <clears throat> about killer acquisitions. Should we change the burden of proof? Should we change the threshold for, for intervention? I would just like to mention uh, an academic paper by uh, Massimo Mota, he was also former chief economist, and Martin Peitz, who I think refine a bit this concept of acquisitions of the digital uh, big, di big tech uh, companies. So there are killer acquisitions, yes, that, but they define these as the acquisitions where the target is not existing anymore. But at the same, I mean, I don't think, it's, it's also a question of um, investigating a bit, but many of these mergers don't really kill the idea of the target. What happens that either they continue the activity of the target, so in the counterfactual is just, uh, in, in uh, Mota's terminology is called upgrade with uh, suppressed competition. So competition is suppressed, but the, the idea is still upgraded by the, by the acquirer. And there is another uh, possibility that they acquire it and they developed more than in the counterfactual because the target doesn't have the necessary skills 
uh, to do that. So in, in having the, looking at these three types of mergers, I, again, we cannot generalize. The more you go towards type three, the more you can find some pro-competitive effects there. So that's why, again, it's very important to, to know what we are talking about. And I'm gonna just mention the last, uh, again, a paper by Estrella and Bureau, a very recent, where they talk about, uh, in this third group, where companies uh, acquire targets and develop them farther, it's very important to look at the trade-off uh, between killing a competition, but also um, enhancing innovation, either faster or to a broader scope, which scope, which can be a pro-competitive effect in, in um, driven by this merger. So it's again a tra trade-off and a question of that may be solved empirically. So just for, for the introduction. Thank you very much, Sadina. On mergers and uh, killer acquisitions, for sure we need more empirical evidence that can guide us um, a, a recent paper that uh, I, I read uh, uh, was by Luis Zicales and co-authors called Kill Zones that uh, illustrate that maybe in some cases uh, mergers in uh, high tech uh, affect negatively investments of uh, competitors of big platforms that engage in the merger. So um, it's a, an interesting topic for discussion, um, uh, but uh, before, uh, following uh, the order of panelists, uh, I will go now to Kay. Uh, Okay, we have heard that there are issues. And those issues uh, can be uh, solved uh, by uh, different approaches that can be uh, uh, used, can be applied at the same time. Either we are talking about data, data sharing, either we are talking about regulation of platforms, either we are talking about um, a, a, a market definition which is more suited in the digital uh, age so that traditional tools can apply in a better way. Hearing all these ideas and this discussion, what is your reaction? Um, th thank you for the opportunity to be on this panel. Uh, and I would take a step back and question the premise. Uh, there are indeed uh, a lot of questions uh, and, and reports in the last year that have talked about there being issues, but, uh, but I do question that premise a bit and, and, and exactly whether we're talking about competition or non-competition issues. Uh, Advances in computer and communications technologies have dramatically lowered costs, increased output, and improved the quality of products and services in a wide variety of industries. Those who have embraced these technologies have seen success, while those who have been slow to adapt have not. This technological disruption has practically eliminated some industries, it's true. Phone books still make billions of dollars globally, but that market share isn't growing. Digital technologies are lowering transaction costs and opening up markets to global competition. We no longer have to rely on a radio station to broadcast our music, a television station to watch videos, a publisher to distribute our writing, a distributor or retailer to reach our customers, or even a hotel for accommodation during the ABA spring meeting. There is much more competition on the supply side of these markets. This increased competition has produced incredible consumer benefits, which should be recognized. Lower prices, higher quality products, and spurred innovation. Consumers can more easily read reviews and compare offers and choose what's right for them. And yet we do live in challenging times. Each year, technology becomes more complex, more powerful, and harder to understand. We have to deal with austerity, shrinking tax bases, a dynamically shifting labor market, 
and global competition. It feels like each week is a new crisis, this, this week as well, and it's hard to keep up with all the change. But that doesn't mean we should act hastily or betray our principles. One of those principles is that competition on the merits is welfare enhancing, and that less efficient firms should exit the market. Another is that customers benefit when firms enter new markets and stimulate competition. That's why we fought for a single European market. Over decades, we have developed a body of law and practice that has limited the ability of governments to play favorites, to pick and choose winners, and to protect its domestic champions from foreign competition. But this is not just a European concept. It is a model that is followed in nearly every jurisdiction. We've successfully pushed forward in trade negotiations, where we expect a level playing field for open and fair competition. At meetings of the ECN, ICN, and OECD, we push for an international framework that keeps foreign markets open. This principled, evidence-based approach drives European prosperity. We shouldn't throw all this work away. But it looks like that's where we're headed. Despite how popular services like Amazon and Google are, some politicians have been calling for new regulations that would prevent these companies and many others from innovating and offering new products and services under so-called self-preferencing. 2019 saw a number of papers investigating the competitive dynamics in markets characterized by network effects, low marginal costs, and the use of data. Some of these papers concluded that anti-competitive conduct was possible in these markets and that the unquantifiable risk of harm justified ex-ante action. But what about the risk of unintended consequences? When I was a law student, I learned that consumers benefit when firms use their existing expertise to offer new products and services. No more double marginalization. No more vertical holdup. In their place, efficiencies of scale and of scope, lower transaction costs, and easier integration. Why do so many of these reports ignore these long-observed, verifiable, and quantifiable benefits? Do they offer new, contradictory evidence? Not really. Companies like Microsoft, Apple, Google, Amazon, and Facebook are constantly challenging each other and offering competing services and ever-broadening functionalities. These companies, like IBM and other large technology companies, invest billions into research and development. There is constant innovation and improvement, much more than you see in other industries. They aren't behaving to an appreciable extent independently of their competitors, customers, and ultimately consumers. And even if they were, isn't that the incentive that drives companies to compete and win? Do we want to punish success? According to the courts, the real question has always been one of anti-competitive foreclosure. Whether the dominant company is illegally pursuing objectives that are illegitimate, or whether it is merely competing on the merits. So should we follow existing jurisprudence and economic evidence, stick to our fundamental principles and the established international order, or should enforcers get to prohibit ostensibly pro-competitive conduct without any evidence of anti-competitive harm? I submit that we should continue to allow dominant companies to compete vigorously, even if that makes incumbents nervous. Incumbents who fail to compete should be nervous. They should invest in digitization. They should compete. What they shouldn't be doing is calling on politicians to reverse the burden of proof. What about the risk of unintended consequences? Why should we slow down the introduction of new products and services and put up roadblocks to innovation, expansion, or experimentation? Is that really the same competition policy that economists and lawyers worldwide have worked so hard to establish? 
Is that the model of competition policy we want others to follow? Competition lawyers, economists, and judges have decades of experience determining whether conduct benefits consumers or users of one side or another of the multi-sided and interconnected ecosystem in which technology firms operate. We know that product design changes can promote interbrand competition or intra-brand competition. We know they can be invented to illegally foreclose competitors or to legally address legitimate safety or privacy concerns. Why are technology critics so eager to do away with such inquiry? Why do they ignore the risks? We may not be happy at the economies of scale that large US technology companies enjoy. We may wish for equally large European giants. But let's not kid ourselves. Industrial policy pursued by competition tools is still industrial policy. And in the end, if it doesn't work, if the end result is to protect and subsidize inefficient businesses, to deprive us of product innovation, to drive away investment and make it harder for European companies to do business abroad, ultimately, it will be the European citizen who suffers. Thank you, Kay. Um, I mean, um, it is clear from your intervention that uh, you question what uh, already said, and I hope that this will motivate some debate. Uh, let me ask you the following. Um, if we have a bad regulation, then uh, these unintended consequences you refer to are more likely uh, to emerge. What if we, if we have a good regulation, if we have uh, in place a data sharing mechanism that uh, they target on the distribution of the, the benefits derived and not on decreasing the benefit derives. Um, would that be something welcome? Is it something uh, you, you have thoughts, uh, you have any thoughts on how this uh, can be the case uh, to have such good measures uh, from, uh, from our point of view that uh, we can basically keep the great value that platforms and digital firms bring, the efficient ones, but at the same time, uh, we have a better distribution of this value to the other uh, actors of the digital ecosystem. Yeah, I, I think there have been a couple of recent studies that have gone into how much tremendous value the digital uh, technologies have produced for European businesses and consumers. Uh, and oftentimes, these are subsidized by ad-funded business models. So the actual cost is very, very minimal for, for individuals. Um, I think there can be good regulation, and you have to look at it specifically. But I, my intervention is really focused on some of these ideas of platforms not being able to enter into new markets and, and wanting to remove this idea of them uh, having any efficiencies when they do use their technology, their expertise, their resources to drive innovation and, and, and in new areas that they aren't currently active in. I think, it, I think it's wrong to, to tell them, well, this is what you're doing, this is all you can do, and, and anything else you do is going to be anti-competitive because it's going to have an effect on people who are already doing that other thing. Okay, but if we go to specific dimensions like self-preferencing, uh, we had competition cases uh, on that. Um, do you agree that uh, in case uh, that we can establish dominance, that is something that should be forbidden? Uh, it, it depends on what you call by self-preferencing. If, if a company chooses... In the vertical dimension, I promote my own vertical uh, upstream provider in the expense of the other independent competitors. 
So what, one thing, again, this is one of the efficiencies that I was talking about in transaction costs. Oftentimes what we saw, for example, in the Google Shopping case, this wasn't a strict vertical, I supply something to you and, and you purchase it or you get it and then it's yours and it has no impact on me. There's an exchange there. And for, the, in particular, the shopping case, for uh, Google to have been able to integrate uh, and provide the same uh, service that it was offering to third parties as it does for itself is not exactly easy to do. There are transaction costs, there are no uh, negotiation costs. There needs to be a level of uh, technological uh, compatibility that is, takes investment. And so imposing that and saying, well, you can't do these things unless you create a system that is going to be completely open for every possible competitor who wants to come in and take advantage of this system that we're requiring you to create, otherwise you're violating competition law, is going to put up roadblocks. It's going to disincentivize people from innovating and providing new and improved products and services. And this, I'm not, uh, th there were similar cases in Germany with regards to the weather and in the UK with regards to maps where the court's judgments have really gone into this and explained, well, these are product innovations and uh, they're not anti-competitive. I'm sure that we'll come back to this in the discussion, but um, I have now to move to Kai Uwe and ask him, uh, you as a great academic and also with some consulting experience, uh, I'm really confused. What should we do? Uh, what are the issues? Um, I see different ideas and uh, uh, different analysis on digital markets on the table. Um, please enlighten us. I, I, I'm not sure how much I'm going to enlighten you, um, but I think I, it, it is at the time to come in with a couple more, much more skeptical views on uh, some of the proposed changes in the law. Uh, partly because I think um, we, we, we are making mistakes in the analysis of the problem and mixing up certain things. And, and I think, therefore, I, I want to show that to some extent, especially on the, on the examples of merger control. Uh, before I do that, let me, let me say there's, it, it's not that there's no need to adapt regulation in, in this new world. I think uh, it's really important, for example, on privacy and consumer protection, uh, to have adaptations. But I think one of the things we're making a lot of mistakes is mixing these things up with competition. Uh, privacy, for example, requires reductions in data flows. And they're completely opposing to some of the ideas of free data flows on, on data sets. And we have to start recognizing that there are fundamental conflicts between these different policy goals and have to start discussing these in these ways. And that's, for example, one of the, the, the areas in which the uh, German Facebook case went terribly wrong, where also the remedy isn't a remedy for privacy, um, and the case was not very good for competition policy either. But let me get kind of in that. But, but there are important areas in which we need to have changes. There are certain concepts that are not fit um, for the problems like, for example, the agency con concept in, in competition law and so on and so forth. Uh, so I want to make that clear. The China issue is an important issue. I think the fact that we are going to get guidance is going to be very important because it's uh, the current uncertainty on a lot of things actually hinders innovation. So, so, so those are all things that are important to discuss. 
But let's uh, discuss a little bit on the merger issue because we have this um, interesting uh, uh, contradiction between, on one hand, people saying, you're much too narrow in your market definition. You have to change market definition so that we can have more mergers. And the other one that says, oh, there are all these killer acquisitions. We should actually be blocking more mergers. And maybe this is in digital, and maybe this is only for big digital firms. Uh, but I think in both of those, uh, we have to think a little bit harder, and I want to, want to explain to you why. The merger discussions about, oh, you're being much too narrow about uh, uh, geographic markets is an old one that was already there 10 years ago, and which, uh, when I was chief economist, uh, there was intense discussion about it. And I had to give talks on this, and it always became clear, and it was shockingly clear in the discussion today as well, that the discussion shows absolutely no understanding of how market definition is done and how market definition has a role to play in the decisions on mergers. First of all, market definition isn't something that you can legislate. Market definition is something that comes from substitution relationships. And it was not the case in some of these criticized mergers that foreign or global competition wasn't taken a consideration of as it was actually. And the concept is very flexible, so sometimes we even uh, took uh, account of competition outside the defined market in order to have the full competitive effects that was in Utukumpu um, um, uh, inoxum, uh, the case that was heavily criticized for the too narrow market definition. No, we took the full competition in the market into place. In other cases, like some telecom mergers, it turned out that actually the competitive constraints were very different in market segments. And so we took that into account in terms of what was being done. No, the tools are there in order to do this, and it has been done. And I think it is absolutely wrong here to try to legislate something that is a methodological issue where the only thing that is relevant is taking into account uh, the substitution relationships. And I think you find virtually no economist uh, at least a competition economist who would disagree with that. And so while there are lots of disagreements about digital, this is certainly not an area in which there's disagreement. Second point, and I'll probably have used up my time by the time I'm finished with that point, um, is on the killer acquisition issue. And I think the difficulty here is that outside of pharma, in which we already know how to do these, these cases, uh, where we have the evidence that there are killer acquisitions, we know it, and remedies have gone in that direction. The problem is that in the digital world, a lot of this has to do with uncertainties about whether we're dealing with substitutes or complements, um, and whether we have something that works well or doesn't well. And if we go in there in a sweeping way, uh, for example, reversal of burden of proof, um, at least for some companies, um, that can be extremely damaging. And I, I'll just give you an example of cases that are currently running. I'm not involved in it. Uh, I just see the cases and I'm surprised that they're being taken into phase two investigations. This is at the CMA in the UK. The cases I'm talking about is takeaway.com, Just Eat, and Amazon Deliveroo. Um, basically, the CMA said this is a very concentrated market. Only three firms in there in delivering food to you to home uh, 
And uh, therefore, we're really worried about eliminating potential competition, what's really what is meant with killer acquisitions. But just think for a moment what three firms means in that market, and it comes to a point where actually market definition is a problem. Namely, think about Deliveroo, delivering on a bicycle uh, to different households. Suppose one delivery is 10 minutes from picking it up to bringing it to somewhere else. It's about two pounds in the UK, so 12 pounds that can be earned with deliveries over time. What do you think after paying uh, the biker? What is the margin? To what extent can you actually survive? In these types of markets, and I've done in recent times a merger in, in mobility services that had exactly the same problem, there are massive losses off, and it's not quite clear whether these things can survive, and it's a very, it's a very, very narrow market definition. Why a very narrow market definition? Because as soon as market gets complex, there's a reversal from the substantive substitution analysis back to describing things because it's also complicated. And we completely forget about substitutes that are vertically not integrated or that are different models. For example, a lot of Chinese restaurants, a lot of pizza restaurants deliver themselves their competition because they might take the service or they might deliver themselves. Me actually going and getting a takeout is a substitute because yes, I'm now paying to have to do it myself, but honestly, I've recently substituted away from a delivery pizza guy because the pizza wasn't good enough for me and I'd rather pick it up. We have much broader market here and you can give lots of examples in the digital world where we're going far too narrow in terms of the market definitions. And that is a problem because we're not analyzing substitution. We're trying to go to very broad, ex uh, uh, broad um, definitions, presumptions in a lot of cases, which are, I think, not um, justified. And I think we're going to come back in the discussion to antitrust on that. Yes, thanks so much. Allow me one question on your mm -hmm. first point. Uh, we will discuss the second on the discussion. Uh, what is worse? to regulate something that we feel that we need to regulate and not doing it so well, or not to regulate it at all? So. Well, I think um, when you feel you need to regulate something, you need to be able to cl make clear why you're actually regulating it. And I've actually been, in the last couple of years, in lots of discussions with regulators who said, well, what kind of regulators, uh, regulatory solutions could we have? And my question always was, well, what is the problem that you see? And the answer was, well, we have to act. So what regulatory solutions do we have? And I think that is the problem that we're in at the moment, that we're still not willing to ask the question empirically, to what extent do these things actually matter, and where should we go into regulation? And then I think it's actually worse, because then we're undermining innovation. Thank you. Uh, Guillaume, um, you have heard all the discussion so far. Um, <laughs> I have <three> hours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, since uh, it was already mentioned about the review of market definition, uh, there were also points raised about uh, mergers, uh, substitutability versus complementarity. Could you start with that? And we can cover the rest uh, of the points uh, while we are going to the discussion on mergers. Uh, on, uh, on market definition uh, and the extension to the merger case. I mean, I could, but I think the topic, I mean, the, the d debate that has been here 
was super wide. No, I mean we touched upon regulation. Yeah. Uh, I think I already mentioned that. I think that's a very important point. And then please, uh, please go ahead and we touched upon regulation. Yourself. And yeah. I think there are two levels of debate. One debate is about exactly what Kaiwu said. There's a lot of debate about how to regulate platforms, about the behavior that they should, we should impose on them. That's the debate that is all over the place. And there's another, and very often that is taken on the basis of the fact that competition, or antitrust, is seen as too slow, etc., etc. So the debate very often, what I, I feel, is that you know, instead of going to the concrete issues, we start by saying, well, we should regulate better and there should be an overall regulation and create a big regulator that would then solve all the issues that competition can't tackle or not, doesn't tackle perf as perfectly as it should. And there's another debate about should we modernize competition tools, whether it's about market definition, whether it's about killer acquisitions, whether it's about data assessment, whether it's about providing guidance. And these two debates, obviously, they are linked, but I think we should start distinguishing. It doesn't mean that, you know, irrespective of the first one that competition enforces whether the commission or others should not update their tools, uh, that we can discuss. That's one topic on mergers, for example, color acquisitions. Uh, but there's the other debate about the more systemic issue about platforms. Are there things that we have learned through competition enforcement, for example, or maybe Kaiwe was mentioning these privacy issues, that call for updating rules and what type of rules. And what I'm, uh, I mean, it's a complex debate, so that we have to all acknowledge, but I think the next step will be indeed once everyone seems that we should regulate one way or the other, what are the concrete issues that we see as systemic for regulation, and then how do you solve them? And that's not an easy, clearly not an easy task, but I think that should be the starting point. So if, if I take my you know, humble experience as a practitioner in, in the competition field, what I see is that the type of cases we've been dealing with, despite the big names and so on, they're all very different, very different practices. And even trying to put categories or, 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 or the complaints we get, and even putting categories you know, is, is a bit of a, I, I'm sorry, I mean, in the interest of time, but I see that there are many different issues. One type of issue is about you know, practices that seem to restrict competition between platforms. So, and there, there are the issues about interoperability, uh, how can you incentivize competition between platforms? I mean, the MFN cases sometimes are an issue about competition between platforms, at least in one of my cases. And I think there's a debate a regulatory debate, I think that you referred to that, about how to make sure that at least there's competition between platforms that is preserved, and that's all about you know, breaking network effects, so incentivizing interoperability, uh, incentivizing data portability on the basis of you know, models that you've seen in the financial sphere where users can ask a rival to have access to the data. And then you have to go into every market and and the various business models, but at least the topic is there because the detail becomes a bit. But I can see that topic. You know, how do you incentivize in some markets where there's the perception that platforms become entrenched? It's, it, again, it's, uh, I'm trying to summarize things. Uh, where can you incentivize competition and, and, and promote that competition between platforms? Then there are the type of cases where it was all about competition within the platform. And, and, 
you know, I know competition experts will say it's more complex, but I'm trying to, to put an image to that. And there, you know, we can talk about time within the Android system, you know, how do you promote competition between search engine within the Android platform, or, or between, and there's the issue of self-referencing. Self-referencing is the buzzword. Uh, in practice, when I, you know, we had a case Google Shopping, we never used self-referencing. We said, you know, there's a leveraging from one market to the other through a specific practice, which didn't exist before, because obviously, which was promotion, promoting your own, uh, you know, uh, product and demoting others. We had a three-day hearing in court. We explained why we think that that practice in that market, in that particular case, had an anti-competitive effect. Because for competition experts, you know, it's all about effects and how you assess that effect, and we were very clear about that. So if you extrapolate that issue about regulation, I think being concrete means, okay, what are we talking about? Because every abuse is about self-referencing. You don't do it in the interest of it. others. You know, if you do a margin squeeze, if you do a tying, if you do a you know, preferential display, whatever, it's always in your interest. It doesn't mean that everything you do in your interest is abusive. It's a bit more subtle. So if we start discussing about the inefficiency of competition tools is that indeed we do cases on an ad hoc basis. We have to understand the markets and we have to bring evidence. So we work by evidence, not convenience. We have to justify our cases. We go to court. We have to explain why we think it makes sense to prevent a specific practice. And some people will say it's a weakness because then you don't regulate the whole market. Well, that's the inherent to the tool. So I think the debate now is whether indeed this, there are so many lessons from competition that you should extrapolate rules for platforms so if we feel that there's a detrimental impact to society. And then there's a third category. This is still in the realm of competition impact about issues that are seen as really unfair. And sometimes I can understand why, but it's not exactly an issue for, there's no competition relationship which puts competition enforcers in a very difficult situation because people expect a lot from competition enforcers in situations that can seem unfair, but where, you know, it's not that we have the right tool. Indeed, I mean, you can think about a delisting on a search engine which is not really related to competition interaction. What do you do with that? This is a genuine debate. I'm not saying we shouldn't debate that, but I think it's very important, and sorry to be very, you know, it's a... I'm trying to put the structure to it, but I know it's much more difficult. And then how do you, how do you think, why, why do you think that on the one hand, competition enforcement can inform a broader regulation? Or why do you think that competition is not the right tool and society feels that you have to regulate? I think that's the issue about the code of conduct, things that even the market sometimes, you know, call for rules of conduct. And the difficulty is which rules of conduct? What is the impact on innovation? Should it be asymmetric or not? But I think it's a very important thing not to you know, extrapolate too much from cases. You have to draw some lessons, but then you have to be very concrete about what it involves for the economy and what you should regulate. I think it's a very important debate. I don't have the key to that, but that's one part of the debate. Then we have, and then I, I know I'm too long, there's the other part of the debate, which is what should we do to make competition enforcement adapted uh, to and, and relevant and timely to the market realities of today. And there you have a series of topics 
data, I will not go through it, we can discuss it. The killer acquisition debate where I think Adina and Kai will summarize the issues very well. You know, killer acquisition is a term that fits well in pharma cases. Is it really the main issue in digital mergers? I think the main issue is really these new kind of you know, links between markets, so non-horizontal merger, it's not easy, conglomerate issues, conglomerate effects, how do, you, how do you assess that in a digital world, but with different digital markets, B2C network effects, etc. We've done some cases, and, and in some cases there was an issue, in others not, so let's discuss that. And what about guidance, providing guidance in an efficient way to companies that are willing to cooperate? So what does it mean? Is it data pooling between complementary data sets or or, or competing data sets. We're very conscious of the issues. What I think is very difficult is, in all these debates is to have simplistic messages about what should be done and what competition enforcers do not do well. I mean, I can tell you, you know, when you go to court, you spend three days, which is good, I think. You go through the facts, you go through the evidence. So if there's a dispute about market definition, if it's so obvious that we were wrong, why isn't it challenged then? If there are facts that we're missing, I think we should be discussing them uh, on the basis of evidence. I think that's uh, what competition enforcers can say on that, but we're ready to contribute on what we know and what we don't know uh, for, for the digital economy. I mean, you put it uh, perfectly. Uh, and I think a challenge is that uh, we, we want to act on new markets uh, where uh, there are so many questions still that they are open and don't understand on the one side. But on the other uh, side, because these markets, dynamic markets, are very dynamic, uh, we are afraid that by not acting now, we are losing our opportunity to do that. So uh, let's go to the round of uh, comments uh, on what you said. Uh, we'll start with Hakim again. Um, I noticed that in your slides, um, you didn't refer so much on merger control. Uh, is it because you don't consider it, uh, you don't consider that we want to have a crucial update? You can include these questions together with the remarks you want to make to the other panelists, but let's keep all of us some short to the point responses so that uh, we'll have time for questions. Yeah, uh, thanks. The let me stress that I think that's the important question. So when do we switch from, uh, from antitrust to regulation or rule-based system? And I, have, um, I don't think that we have a clear academic answer on it. So if you see the telecommunication markets, we have these three criteria tests. So whether you should regulate a market. Yeah? And you regulate if you think it's, you know, dominance is there to stay and you have the feeling that antitrust is not sufficient. Yeah, and, and that's, I think, I think that's what we observed over the last year, that, you know, these dominant platforms, they have networks effects, they're here to stay. We're talking generally about data as essential facilities. They have some essential facility character. And antitrust clearly comes to its limits. Yeah, you see, we don't have, you know, we don't have any court having yet decided on an antitrust issue. Yeah, it took years to, to go through these cases, and dynamics are so strong that we see that it comes in. It's always a particular effect, and you know, next week you have another one. We haven't talked about remedies, which I think is a big issue to talk about here. Yeah? But remedies come to its limits. Yeah, and even if we start to become smarter, yes, yeah, the markets. You know, it also develops faster and becomes smart. So I think we need to move in some way to a more rule-based system. And then let us start what are the rules and, you know, who operates the rules and, and who, has, who is the person in charge. Concerns the other point, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with what uh, was said at the table. Uh, the merger control, yeah, we all feel somewhat unhappy that... Um, 
uh, you know, you have this kind of killer acquisition and the debate which is going on. Still, you know, it has a lot of useful effects in merger control. And um, I guess the only way to really think about it is what, you know, what the French are proposing is to have a kind of ex post merger control. But that's, you know, a very tough step to go forward. So we in our commission at least, you know, we couldn't go that step, yeah, and say we should we should recommend it because it also has a lot of legal uncertainty which it takes with you and it's, you know, it changes a lot of business models, yes. Yeah? So um, still we think we have learned over the last years on conglomerate theories of harm, on innovation-based theories of harm, data-based theories of harm. So I think it might be, you know, useful to have more guidelines, you know, how one deals with these new theories of harms. So maybe I'll leave it to these two points. Okay, Adina, I mean, um, I, I take the point uh, that if we want to regulate, we need to make sure of what to regulate, or if we go to merger control, we need to have an idea on potential effects that will happen to the future. Um, but there is also um, the proposal uh, by some people of uh, uh, try to be more dynamic in the sense, um, implement some uh, interim remedies or interim measures, which uh, could help us in uh, uh, on the way to get more insights and, uh, if uh, possible, to, if, uh, if needed, to update uh, those um, specific uh, um, lines of action, policy lines. Would you see that um, something that we could really implement it, to go to this more dynamic uh, view of how we evaluate cases and uh, also rules? On the specific question about interim measures, I have all the sympathy for the Commission. I don't think it's easy at all. I talked to uh, some of the people who worked on the Broadcom cases, and actually, in order to uh, bring this forward, you have to prove the case almost to the standards of the of uh, till the end. So I don't think it's very easy. I know it has been uh, also implemented in a case in Sweden very recently, but uh, um, so yeah, I. I I don't think it's it's very easy. Now, just one to follow up on. Um, there is an example you asked whether we should learn from cases to regulate. Uh, there is the example of interchange fee where Visa Mastercard had lots of cases with DCOM, then the interchange fee regulation came in. I think uh, it's a good example, but that was quite a traditional industry, I would say. Now, with all these business models, you said, you asked, um, I think, uh, the colleague from CCIA whether self-preferencing, if it was prohibited in a case, shall be regulated, uh, prohibited. I would say good luck with defining self-preferencing, but uh, Guillaume just said, anything you do for yourself, this is the rationale of any economic operator to maximize profits. This is not illegal. So it's very difficult to define uh, this. In order to regulate, I very much agree with Kayuve, you need to define either a market uh, failure or a, an objective, something that Europe wants to achieve or national authority wants to achieve or an international organization wants to achieve in terms of social or some sort of consumer. But you have to define it clearly. Um, but yeah, not easy. Uh, Kay, uh, I would like also to hear your thoughts and reactions. Um, you were clear in the previous intervention about uh, what are the risks uh, from the wrong regulation. Uh, you referred also to some very pervasive forms of regulation by forbidding uh, some big platforms to enter to new markets. Uh, what if we take uh, a milder approach by rules that uh, ensure interoperability, portability, um, 
is this something that you see that could work uh, and uh, could uh, create benefits? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, so when there needs to be uh, a regulatory intervention to address a market failure, and, and a market failure could potentially be caused by uh, uh, the dramatic network effects that make it very difficult to challenge, uh, then it, it can make sense to, to intervene accordingly. But we can't um, mix up uh, competition policy and other policy objectives. I think we, you mentioned that we are having uh, uh, years of experience now where we're seeing these platforms uh, and technology companies that have long-time durable market shares. I, I, I mentioned in my intervention that, well, they're not sitting on their laurels. They're, they're definitely introducing new services and innovations. But, um, I mean, Windows has had uh, tremendously high market shares and network effects and platform for a very long time, but we don't seem to have those same concerns there. So I, I question, well, what, what, is, what are we really concerned about here? Let's try to drill it down uh, and be specific. And in terms of there not being uh, challengers to these, I, I disagree again on the facts. There's a company Reddit, it's a, a content discovery platform that in 2018 already overtook Facebook in the number of user hours. There's Shopify, it's a Canadian retail platform that gives the retailers a more control over the user experience. and. Uh, its, its growth, uh, Shopify Merchants' online sales growth was more than double the growth of the global e-commerce market, so it's growing and winning market share. And no, I don't need to mention TikTok. Uh, we've already talked about state subsidies. Um, but there are challengers that are coming in with new uh, business models, uh, new uh, use cases, and attractive propositions for users. And so when you can ask, well, why do we not have any of these as European companies? Well, there I would say we still need to, a lot, to do a lot of work on the Capital Markets Union and the European Innovation Council to have more public and private funding for, for smaller businesses, startups, and scale-ups. And speaking of killer acquisitions, the approach that is being taken in the UK now is against that. So that's part of the difficulty, why we're not getting more big companies. There, the, in May of last year, uh, Deliveroo want, went to the market for funding. They needed money to continue growing. They're, 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 they're a, a, a UK startup. Amazon went in for a minority stake. Amazon is not active in the market. There's already a lot of competition in that market. Uh, Kayuve mentioned a few of the competitors there. There's also Uber Eats that is active in that market. And that's even when you're looking at the very narrow uh, definition of a digital platform for food delivery, which, which again has problems uh, when you take such a narrow approach, the results that you're going to get. So minority acquisition, market that they're not active, lots of competitors. They've, they've said they're not going to have a decision until June 2020. So that's more than a year after they went uh, and announced that they were doing this, this investment stake. So what happens when it takes a year and a half for a scale-up to, to, to get funding in, in Europe? Is that going to be attractive for founders, for, for engineers who want to come and start up businesses and invest uh, and build companies in Europe? Thank you, Kay. Uh, Kai Uwe, um, your reactions from the panel. 
um, and also whether you believe that uh, this um, substitutability complementarity you uh, mentioned before could be um, approached uh, from more market studies. So we need to be more active on studying markets, uh, running surveys. Um, some uh, colleagues from the, US, uh, from the US, for example, they had uh, run a study in which uh, they went to Facebook users. Mm -hmm. And uh, they asked them, if I sat down today the Facebook, what platform you're going to use? And they managed to monitor them in an initiative compatible way. And they uh, found, uh, basically, uh, uh, from the responses, they got a clear perspective on the substitutability of platform with the other uh, side from the user side, because we are, we are, it is a multi-sided market. So uh, your views and ideas. OK, let me, let me take that point last, because it's actually a bit more complicated, but just react to a couple of things. I, I, I found myself wholeheartedly agreeing with Guillaume in the sense of, of what he was conveying. But let me, kind of on a couple of points, on regulation, I think there are a couple of things where it's very clear where you put it in regulation. As Adina said, the credit cards case was one of those. What, what was the reason for that? Very large margins over a very long period of time. And um, actually putting it through competition policy has rather created problems than anything else. Um, secondly, privacy. Um, if you're thinking about, and I think that's, that's the problem with the Facebook case. If you give me two privacy regimes and say, decide what do you want, I have no idea what the consequences for me are if I choose one or the other. So what does that mean? I completely disregard that aspect of the choice when I'm making a choice between two different platforms. So it has nothing to do with market power. It has something to do with asymmetric information or, or just bounded rationality that I can't think these complex things through. Now, what's been the remedy in the Facebook case? Give you more choice. That doesn't help the privacy problem. So now we're saying, hooray, we've done something about dominance, and hooray, we've some, done something about privacy. We've actually done neither. And I think that's the problem. Privacy issues we need to deal with um, with a regulatory regime because the bounded rationality issues and the asymmetric information issues are so large that individual competition is not going to solve the problem. Okay? On other aspects, and I think Guillaume was kind of hinting in that, and. And it's, it's reasonable to come out in different ways with this. Self-preferencing. We have one, one case, which is the Google case, um, which didn't say self-preferencing, which, which I think is a good thing. Just, we had self-preferencing cases before, uh, which is charging a higher price to your competitor than to your own downstream unit. We realize that it's wrong to think about it in that way, because one is just a transfer. Right? And therefore, we said margin squeezes are the relevant test, because that is about foreclosure. So again, we're now going to self-preferencing, assuming, essentially, foreclosure, which isn't really clear. And even if you look at the Google case, so if I'm putting up this new thing, which is Google Shopping, up there, how is that different as if I'm just going to put a couple of more lines of advertisement of Google? Is that self-preferencing? Why isn't that self-preferencing while the Google Shopping thing is self-preferencing? So we're actually going from something that's as such debatable and making it kind of a general rule because it seems intuitive to people that self-preferencing is bad. So suppose you have a dominant 
dominant uh, retail store. And they put on own brands more prominently on the shelf that are cheaper than your own. Is that self-preferencing? That should be um, forbidden? And how is that different from what a digital platform does? So I think we have to be really careful, and it's a key concept in some of the reforms uh, for prohibiting something like in the, in the German reform. And a last point, and this is also something where a lot of the debate of ex-ante measures come into. They're justified because you're changing something in the market that doesn't change back. You get tipping with networks. Well, the big problem is we actually don't have that much evidence of networks systematically tipping when some of these large companies come in. Uh, example, Amazon came in, I don't know, 2014 or something in subscription um, streaming of videos. We now have a lot more subscription video services than we had then. They came in with their own production. The, the production range that we're getting these days is much higher. We've had an enormous increase in comp competition in that area to a, to a point where we're saying there's too much production even. Um, we can go through other things. For some of these firms have, have entered and haven't succeeded in these markets. So where do we get the strength of argument from to say, if there are some of these big firms, if there are platform, which is network effect tipping and financial strength, then automatically we're prohibiting things up to the point where we can prevent their entry into new, into new markets. I think that's highly problematic and we should think twice whether that's an improvement over the rules. Thank you, Kayuga. Uh, Guillaume. Even if you want to have a code of conduct for platforms, we see divergence views. So, so would you like to respond to Kayuga? <coughs> no, I, I mean, I, what I want is my message to be very, very clear on what I meant. Uh, what I mean is that once, you know, there are discussions about regulation and, and what should be done, if one wants to be, you know, efficient in, in targeting the issue, you have to define it very clearly. And that's what I meant, for example, on self-referencing. You, you can't stop by saying self-referencing. You will need to say, okay, where do we impose neutrality rules? And you see that in some regulated industries where you know, there's a kind of neutrality obligation. For the moment, the cases I've seen, and they still need to be you know, judged, I mean, where was for platforms an issue of self-referencing? It was about display in search, and then there's a debate mm -hmm. on the impact. So is display in search, you know, calling for you know, some kind of regulatory intervention? There are the issues, I think, that were raised by some regulators about neutrality on devices. What is the scope for pre-installation? What does it involve? What does neutrality for pre-installation in involve? We saw some tying cases in Android that pre-installation, given the market context, the products could have a detrimental impact, but it was based on these markets. So what do you mean by neutrality for pre-installation? Does it mean that users can disinstall? I mean, I'm, what, I'm, what I'm just trying to say is that now it's time to then discuss the concrete issue, like interchange fees. There was a concrete issue mm -hmm. for regulation. You know, there were cases on online distribution, on geo-blocking. There was the decision by the commission beyond competition to ban geo-block or, or even impose obligations further than what competition imposes on the fact that online retailers should allow for cross-border sales with some nuances, but it went beyond what competition imposed. Mm. So I think that's what I mean is that I think 
the important thing is to decide what the issues are and whether they need to be regulated and how. Because the difference with Exante in telecoms is that in telecoms you had one issue, you have to demonopolize one you know, previously state-funded incumbent and rightly so there was regulation to demonopolize. There was one basic issue, how do you give access to these networks? And therefore you could have ad hoc intervention. If on platforms the issue is to replicate that, the question arises, which issues? Because this is not one issue. I think the, what you refer to about the issues is indeed are the issues about interoperability, portability, uh, neutrality, dual role, are the issues about fair trading relationship, access to the data from the supplier, uh, from the platform to the user, content providers want access to the customer data. It's a different issue. And, and that's the difficulty. I'm, I'm not giving a judgment on what should be done yet. I'm just saying, these issues have to be mentioned because what I think is that the market is asking if there's a, a code of conduct issue, the market will ask for what is allowed and what is not allowed. Irrespective of the specific anti-competitive impact in one particular case, mm -hmm. which is the role of competition enforcer, for regulation, for the law, then the trade-off between innovation, between symmetric, asymmetric, but also what are the rules? What are the concrete rules? You can't say we need to regulate and we'll decide later what we will intervene on. Because then it will be the same problem or the criticism that we intervene on an ad hoc basis. Indeed, we intervene on an ad hoc basis because every case is different. Every market is different. Every practice is, is, has some nuances. And that's the difficulty between you know, coming from competition and informing regulation. That's, that's what I meant. Thank you for the clarification. I came you want to say something. Just a small remark. Um, as I mentioned, I'm in the German Monopoly Commission. We write a report on competition every second year, and we write a report on the regulated industries the other second year, yeah. so telecommunication, railway, and so on. And if you were to ask me, say, in the railway system, what's the issue? I would say, you mean this year, or two years ago, or four years ago? Because there were always different issues. So they prevent their competitors from using the, the network with all, you know, they, they, are, you know, they have new tools how to prevent them, and so every two years, we have to think about the new how we get competition going in this area. So, yeah, it has to do with preventing competition. But one thing is, you know, once you have such a network and you want to have access to this network or to this platform, he would say access to the platform and competition on the platform. Yeah, then in two years we talk in different issues how they prevent uh, it, and, and that's why you need regulation or you need rules. And maybe I also may say the second thing is our proposal says. You know, we want to have the rules in the competition law. So, and there you can have a, re it's more like a reverse burden of proof. Yeah, so you can go for your efficiencies, but it's not the competition authorities, but it's the companies that have to provide, uh, you know, that for the efficiency. So I would say it's light regulation. It's more, you know, but uh, that because I see the issues with it is the first step. But I think the argument can't be, you know, what's exactly the issue, because, you know, issues change. They change every year, every second year. So it's, it's you know, preventing harm to competition. That's the issue we're talking about. Thank you. Uh, before we open uh, the floor for questions, let me express my main takeaway uh, take from this panel. I mean, regulation is a very big issue. How to regulate is a crucial question. And if uh, there are so many open questions, which makes it for difficult. So let me start from the basics. And uh, I want to have uh, a round table on the following question. Akim uh, started uh, by the first proposal that refers to data. And uh, by saying that users, uh, users' accounts, data accounts, 
when uh, activities and data should be accessible to third-party providers. Is it something that the panel agrees on that? Is there any reaction on that? So just to bring more data symmetry on uh, uh, access to data symmetry uh, by uh, other companies and competitors of some big platforms that create some concerns, according to some of the panelists? Silence? Okay. I think it very much depends. One of my main theses was that we, we cannot generalize. For, I mean, you share data, but you should not kill incentives to innovate. On the other hand, yeah, you have to clearly define the objective of what do we want to achieve. We want to achieve more symmetry information, okay, but a bit more concrete. But yeah, it, it depends very much under which conditions. Uh, I would say that front uh, conditions in, in the innovation, in the patents world is, can be an example, although we don't have uh, property rights for data so clearly defined. So I don't say it's easy, but yeah, there has to be a trade-off. Maybe just a quick one. If it's the same thing like in the financial world, where it's basically just you getting access to um, being able to make a transaction from, from my account that's with a bank, that's very limited data. That's just basically my personal data about my bank account and how I access it. Um, I think here the real question starts with, well, what about my purchase history or anything like that? Are you including that? Uh, and I think this is, this is what, what Adina was, was then talking to. Is, is it just the personal data? Then I think it's, a, it's, it's actually very limited, but potentially also of very limited importance. The question is where, where, where does the data sharing with data that's related to you stop? And so, so I think it's very difficult to make, give a general answer to that without thinking it through. It depends on the case. Uh, any comment on this side? I mean, sorry, but the topic is very, is very vast. So you say, should we impose access to data? That's the question, right? I, I think, again, there are two streams. Huh? There's a, a regulatory discussion, irrespective of the platform issue and so on, where in some sectors, I, I mean, you saw the communication on data by the commission, where there are various type of strategies in some tector, sectors, you, and that already exists. You need to mandate some data sharing even business to governments and so on. There are many various types of data sharing for various needs. In energy, I think there are already some obligations on network operators to share data and so on. So, so when you talk about the- In the context of platforms business. So in, in the context so. of platforms, what, again, my humble view is through the cases I've seen is that indeed, you know, uh, first there were various types of, uh, is it in the merger context, is it in a behavioral context, and then what type of data we're talking about, personal, non-personal, and then you know the template we have about the value of that data, velocity, I mean the four Vs and so on. In some cases, you know, uh, Apple Shazam is a classic one. We thought, okay, there might be an issue about allowing the, the firm to have access to data beyond their own data. And the question then was not about data sharing, it was actually preventing access to that data. It didn't materialize because when we did the analysis, we thought, well, the fact that they have access to that data will not change the competition on that market. In other, issue, in other cases, the, the issue might well be whether the platform should have access to the data in question in the first place, rather than spreading all this data to third parties. So I, I'm, I'm sorry to it doesn't sound like a catchy you know, phrase, but the reality is that in some cases, maybe yes, the, the way of 
you know, ensuring competition is to mandate some data access, but it's not the recipe to everything, sometimes to, to every problem. Sometimes the issue, assuming the data is valuable and so on and, and important for competition, will be more should you allow for the accumulation of data, for example. You know, so it's very important to bear in mind. I mean, in the merger context, that's obvious. In, in cases that we have, the question is indeed really whether one particular firm, which is, you know, large, has access to too much data about its competitors. So the question is not about whether it should share its own data, it's whether they should have access to I, I don't have the answer to that, but, but, but it's very important to, to realize that the issues are indeed more complex, unfortunately, for all of us. Uh, to deal with, with just one, one slogan that uh, data access will, will solve really every issue, whether competition or beyond. Sometimes there is a, a need beyond competition to uh, facilitate uh, data sharing between firms. That's the issue. To what extent can they do it? What type of data? Is it competitive? Is it sensitive or not? Or is it complementary? I mean, can you give guidance on that? In some sectors for public needs, you need to ensure that governments have access to private firms' data to ensure mobility, whatever. I mean, I don't have precise examples in health, etc. I think that's very important, again, to go through the issues rather than just have a kind of one slogan for every market and every player. Um, Clear? If that's Clear response. Any, anything on that? No. Okay. Uh, do you want to add something on data sharing? No. Okay. So, questions. A gentleman here, a gentleman there, Reinhilda. Let's collect uh, two, three questions and respond. Yeah. Okay. Kastner with uh, Santander. Coming back to the data example, I think um, it's very important to, to see who actually controls this data. So, I mean, uh, we have like PC2, uh, Achim mentioned that, so banks have to share data with other financial stakeholders. That includes, by the way, platforms because they invest in fintechs, so they get our data. But we have no way to have a consumer who leaves its shopping list or wish list on an Amazon or eBay platform to share the data if he wants to share. So we have a mandatory mechanism for the financial services sector right now, but we cannot really replicate it. So the commission data strategy falls quite beyond, behind there, it's just voluntary. So the question indeed would be like uh, amending the Data Act or going with competition law, digital services act. So what would be the sort of recommendation from the commission side? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, so the panel nicely agreed on how complex these uh, markets uh, are, uh, and partly also because technologies change so fast uh, here, but part of the technology changes endogenous. So I, I was wondering to which extent in the, in the market definition uh, you do take into account not just the current substitutability, uh, but also future uh, and the, the, the effects on innovation and how that can change market definitions. Uh, taking into account that when you look at innovation, you have to look at a more longer term perspective, much more uncertainty. So how does that square with verifiability and with also have, do you, is there enough technical expertise in competition policy authorities to really assess what the longer term uh, potential market definitions would be? And then I was also a bit surprised by uh, that killer acquisitions, fine, we have that in pharma, but in digital perhaps less. Is it more related to the fact that in digital it's, sorry, that in pharma it's more easy to measure because you can really look at which 
projects are in clinical phase, uh, clinical trial phase, where you can really assess much clearer these killer acquisitions. Um, and it's more difficult in digital because for me it's a bit strange to think that in digital there would be less issues of killer acquisition than in, in pharma. Thanks a lot. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Robert Lane from the German PermRep, and my question would be on the privacy issue. Um, you said, Kai Uwe Kühn, more or less, that uh, it has nothing to do with the competition policy. I think the underlying hypothesis is more or less that if you have a dominant position on a market, you uh, are more able to get the consent of a user to do whatever more or less you want with the data. And I mean, the data protection framework is such that a lot is possible if you have the consent of, of the user. You can basically do yeah, everything. So if it's not a problem of, of this dominant position or, or of, of competition policy, it's obviously a problem of the data protection uh, framework. And I would be interested in how we should change that to, to address these situations. Thank you. Uh, so let's start with the PSD2. Guillaume, you want to? No, the PSD2, I think one, one debate that is very in, in, interesting about your topic about mandating data access and so on. What I find interesting in the PSD2 framework, and I think that's also one thing that comes back in your report, is that uh, when you say about mandating data access, one, people have in mind, oh, okay, does a regulator, a competition authority, or another regulator force a company A to give its data to company B? That's one issue about competition remedies, for example. Are there cases where that would happen? In PSD2, what I find interesting, and that is food for thought more generally, is whether you really empower users to ask. They will not port the data themselves, but under PSD2, they authorize rival B2, B, C, D to have access to the data they have on their account with company A. And I think that's the mechanism that many people have in mind when thinking about how to, how to have a mechanism that is effective enough where users feel comfortable, because there can be a privacy dimension, depends on the data we're talking about, to incentivize you know, that their own data are also looked at under their own control by a rival, a direct rival. I mean, that may happen already in the context of agreements that in any event these companies have with third parties. That's another issue. But I think that's something about data portability that is very relevant generally about competition in, in, in markets where data can have an impact, whether that can be efficiently done in some markets and mandated through regulation when really it makes a difference with, a, I mean, very complex issues about what does it mean for interoperability and so on and so on, and always keeping in mind that markets may be very different and may call for different types of data sharing, access, whatever. But I, I think that's the high-level picture, then I think everyone is conscious of the fact, and I think Kayuwe mentioned it, that the type of data we're mentioning, talking about in PSD2 may be very different or less rich, for example, but still important, still important about, you know, for the competitive game or for the, the fintechs and so on, than in other markets where, you know, it's 
it's difficult to assess really the value of data uh, for, for, for competition. So that's... It's clearly an interesting example to have in mind. Uh, what about the point of the asymmetry that applies only to the yeah. banking institutions? Uh, is it a concern that um, we should solve somehow? Well, I think that's the whole debate about platform regulation. One side of the debate is should it be asymmetric regulation because some players are perceived as mega-dominant, dominant, whatever, and then the type of obligations are more stringent than for uh, other players, so that to, to find a trade-off between innovation and, 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 and competition. I mean, that's, I, I think that's a, that's a debate, whether you regulate throughout an industry and, and therefore whatever the platform is, or where you make a threshold that, uh, that uh, focuses on the, on the main uh, questions. Anyone else uh, to add on this? Yeah, please. No, I think that's a good example where we have the user in control of his or her data, and, um, but still one can systemize it. So this is a case, I think, which has to do with aftermarket, so sectorial, and, uh, so, and, and you offer, you, you enrich competition the aftermarket, like in the financial market, so that, that's, and that's a sectoral issue, and if you find many or further sectors where that would be helpful, we would recommend it. Yeah? The other recommendation, because you mentioned, I wanted to stress that, is that uh, the Data Protection Act gives you the right to your data, but you know, not instantaneously, and we say that for the dominant platforms, you should get it in real time, and then your Amazon question that would, you know, that would be solved, yeah, because then you can ask the customer, listen, you have been customer to Amazon, please give me, if you want to, yeah, your, your consume data, and, and then I offer you a new product, yeah, so, um, and actually, and because you mentioned it, who, who should, you know, whom should this rule apply to, and one is, as I said, in the sectorial, yeah, like financial markets or other markets, but here we think it's a dominant, and as a rule of thumb, I know it's, you know, it's not fair to, to everyone, but it's, you know, if you have a rule for all platforms, it's good for the large ones. Yeah, like data protection, you know, they, you know, Amazon and Facebook, they deal without many problems with the data, you know, but the small ones suffer. And the same it's here, you know, if you want to have it in real time, you have to have rule for the dominance one because they are the rule setters and then you start competition going, otherwise you prevent competition if you make it as a general, as, you know, doesn't fit to all purposes, but, you know, as a, as a general rule of thumb, I think it, it works quite well with this one. Any uh, other response on that or we go to the second question? I just have a question back. So let me make it extreme, just to, uh, just to kind of get a reaction out. Suppose I'm saying, look, Amazon, I want all your data about all transactions on your platform over the last 10 years, because I want to be able to replicate all that information to decide where I want to enter the market. Would that be covered by it? Or, or where's the limit? Where's the limit? That's, that's what, what my... Well, this is based on the Data Protection Act, so you can have all the data of your own purchase. So you can ask Amazon, can I have all the data of my own purchase? You can ask them already now. Yeah? The only thing we want to is that you can get it in real time. So it's not actually, it's not company to company in the sense that they are forced to give everyone the data. It's, it's your data and you tell them, please give it someone else. Yeah, so that's the difference. Okay, and uh, let me add a little bit on that to the question. Those data trusts you, you mentioned, uh, how important are and how they should be formed? It should be a consumer initiative, it should be formed by uh, some rules, so who will be in charge of them? See, that's, 
that's a debate which I think starts now or has started about does data trustees or who you know is in charge with the data and who helps the customer's data. Sometimes I would say it's a market. Yeah, so it takes a financial markets, they are, they are companies entering and say, listen, if you give me data, we offer you new products and we take care of it. Yeah? In some markets, it's, it's harder. And it has to do, it comes a little bit boils down to your question, it has a little bit to do with the privacy paradox, or I would rather call it the privacy dilemma, that we don't, the customers don't care so much about privacy. And it's not a paradox, but rather a dilemma, because privacy issues are, you know, it's a common good issue to, to, to protect privacy. And so that's what makes it hard for companies to enter the market and to, to deal with privacy, because customers don't value it. Yeah? And, and so that's why we, need, we think that you need some more support in that area. That would be the data trustee, who might, be, you know, might get some nudge uh, from, from the public and, and not just being developed in the market. Unless there is any other point on that, we have a question on market definition, substitutability, and on killer acquisition. The two uh, next questions. Who wants to address them? Yeah, please go ahead. I, I think there was, in that question, there was a bit of a misunderstanding. I think what we have in pharma is that it's almost absolutely clear that we're talking about substitutes in these cases. Um, the problem in the tech space is that there's a very strong ambiguity between substitutability and complementarity, and even to a point that things that we're thinking are substitutes are actually complements. And that's even in a very simple way. If you're, if you're looking at a platform where competitors are on and selling, from the point of view of the marketplace that you're looking at, they're actually complements and behave like pricing complements. So, for example, if you have the Uber discussion and say, Oh, every driver should set their own price, which they now have an ex interesting experiment in California. My prediction would be that the prices go up, okay? Because they're effectively complements in bringing people to the platform. You're benefiting from the other Uber driver having a low price because people come to Uber. Uber. So there's that aspect, but there are also other aspects. If you're buying someone, that's very often complementary to some other activities and you might be able to do something new. And a lot of that is pure experimentation. So you can't basically ask them, well, what are you gonna do with it? I mean, I remember cases, Guillaume, where the buyer side basically said, mm, we're not quite, even quite sure what we're gonna do, but we think they have something where we have some ideas that we could try out. And we've seen companies sell again, like Intel with McAfee that had a good idea what to do, but then didn't work out, right? And so I think that's, that's, the, that's the problem, that it's very, very hard ex ante to say, is it really a substitute, or is it really, is the complementary part much more important? And the forward-looking and market definition, to some extent we do that to the extent that that's possible, and that's with looking at the degree of entry and exploration that we're seeing. And there's actually, I'm always surprised in these cases how much there is, but usually with people at different points of the vertical chain, so that you have all kinds of vertical offerings with different business models that are, that are entering. And that entry is incredibly active in this space. So I think that would be, again, something complementary to kind of look at when one is thinking about the substitutability. Okay, further reactions on the questions? Yeah, just to complement on the pharma versus tech, I think if you look at the number, average number of acquisitions in pharma in tech, we just did a little project and I, had the, I looked at it, 
them much fewer acquisitions on average about 30 per company in the top three com pharma companies for the top three pharma companies about 30 acquisition on average in the since 2000 whereas for the big techs it's in the range of 100 so it shows that they as i said at, at least in the massimo's typologies are at least three rationales Killing uh, the target is only one of them. The rest is improving, enhancing, or just, uh, yeah, so they are experimenting, and it shows in the numbers. <laughs> just to contribute a bit on that, on that topic of killer acquisitions and, and to make things clear, indeed, uh, they've been clarified a lot, but what I meant, as far as I'm concerned, is that there's, there's been a lot of debate on merger control, the efficiency of merger control about you know, are we missing, are some transactions, you know, not being reviewed whereas they are meant to be killer acquisitions and then there are debates about thresholds and notification. And very often the fear has been that, you know, big tech companies acquire small players and that goes under the radar and no one knows about that and doesn't assess them. And that's been put under the kind of framework killer acquisitions because they're buying to kill. And I think what we're saying is that, the, again, the issues are a bit more subtle, is that it's not necessarily that they kill and buy the engineers and close the shop. It's rather that they might buy and then develop in a different way. Or, and that, you know, that raises issues that are a bit more complex. But even if it goes beyond the threshold, that's what I meant, is that I think one it might be very important to have you know, efficient merger control and a system of review that is not too bureaucratic but efficient. But even for those transactions that go beyond the thresholds and that competition authorities can look at either on a national basis or on EU basis, what I think we're all saying is that the new issues go beyond the kind of killer I kill and predate and, and close it. It's more about you know, non-horizontal issues. Is it really a potential competitor? The legal test for potential competition is that it's a realistic, you know, there's a realistic prospect that this company would have entered the market in other sectors. So, you know, the facet of issues are, you know, uh, go beyond that one, it, irrespective of the threshold discussion, which is a real one, fine. But I think the real issues where competition enforcers have to really think hard about to do the right decision is what does that bring to competition or does that affect competition when one big company buys another company in an adjacent market? And we know that non-horizontal mergers are not the most obvious cases to assess. In some cases, we found issues. You know, Microsoft LinkedIn is one recent example. Or in other industries, there were other conglomerate cases. It's, it's less frequent than horizontal cases. But I think that is really one topic, I think, for discussion in, in the context of merger control, which is, uh, which is a you know, finely balanced one. And where indeed the role of data, the you know the type of links, the interconnections between markets, the network effects, is it the same user base? You know these are issues where everyone has to look at uh, very cautiously on whether that brings a positive or negative impact on on the market, and that's what we're doing. Further reactions to the questions from the audience? Very good. I might just add on the topic of killer acquisitions, and, and I mentioned this in terms of the, the timing issue and the incentives. For a lot of people who want to 
work for a startup, part of the idea there is like, well, I always have the option of the exit into a, a bigger company. So the, it is uh, part of the ecosystem and people view startups as a legitimate place to start their careers because they're going to be able to go off into big companies. And then when we make it a little bit harder, um, and I think it's important to have reviews, and, uh, and I think ex post reviews would be good to see. And there was the Lear study out of the UK, which is very helpful to, to understand. But we shouldn't just immediately jump to, we need to review every single transaction because all of these are problematic because this is a big company and it's acquiring something else, even if it's for employees uh, with zero turnover. Thank you. Uh, I would like to thank uh, warmly all the speakers for being here with us today. And thanks for coming. Enjoy the afternoon.